You are listening to The Game Plan on the official Raiders Podcast Network. Here's your host, JT the Brick. And we kick off this week with Arn O'Neill, former fullback, who joins us with one of the great stories that we could cover with this franchise. Arn, good to talk to you again. I hope you and your family are well. Hey, how's it going, man? Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Hey, take us through your high school years. You were a, a really good track star on top of a football player. And I wanted to talk about your journey to Arkansas State because that's when the story gets real unique. But what about those high school years when you were big and strong and growing beyond your body and you had to make a decision on what position you were going to play? Well, it wasn't like I, I, I got a chance to make a decision. I, if it was up to me, I would have been a tight end, right? But I come from a small town in Arkansas, and I was uh, – at my age, so I was 225 in high school. So so that was pretty big So for my small town. They had me – so they decided that, you know, you want to play offensive line. But I was like, wait, Coach, I want to play offensive line. I know I'm, I'm faster than my receivers and uh, – and I running back, can I please at least play tight end or fullback? Like, now nah, I'm going to play offensive line. But after that, um, you're a 225-pound left tackle. Not many people want to recruit and give you scholarships, right? So uh, when I graduated from high school, I had zero scholarship offers. I remember on National Signing Day, uh, sitting at home in tears, watching all these people that you know around around your region signing. Like, I'm going here, I'm going there. And, you know, I didn't have any offers, right? But uh, a coach of mine in junior high had a buddy that coached on Arkansas State staff, and he showed him some uh, some highlight films of me playing a uh, linebacker and uh, D tackle. He's like, "Oh, this guy looks like he got something." Well, come on up here and walk on. We'll give him a shot. If he does well, then you know we'll give him a scholarship. And I'm like, "Okay, great." I got my door in the I got my foot in the door, and I go up there, and then every connection that I had to this guy was gone because that whole staff got fired. Mm. And then I I was left in the lurch trying to figure out like, "Okay, what am, what am I going to do now?" And then a new staff came in. And, switch things up, and they needed a fullback. I was like, well, I'd rather be a linebacker, but shoot, there's an opportunity for me to make it as a fullback. Sign me up. You know, things took off from there. This is one of the great stories of making it uh, to the Raiders that I can recall. It's great, but then you had a setback when you had a diagnosis and had part of your lung removed, and as a walk-on and that national walk-on of the year in that article that we saw from CBS Sportsline. Take us to, through that story and the journey, the six-year journey at Arkansas State on how you were able to recover and make a name for yourself. Yeah, so when I got when I got, when I I got got to school and I finally got a chance to walk on, it was, uh, you know, what, 2001. I, and I went, I was getting ready to walk on in the off-season before, to, during 2001 that summer. I was having some breathing issues. Like, if I if I laid down at night, I couldn't breathe, right? And so I had to sit up in a chair until I fall asleep. But I was like, something's wrong. You know, I can't breathe. And went to the doctor, we got their check, checked out, and they said uh, my thoracic duct was leaking, right? And uh, it was leaking fluid into my chest cavity. You know, the, you know how when you eat food, your body separates the fat and spreads it out to your body. Well, my body was dumping all in my chest cavity, which was balling on my left lung. Now, the report says that I had part of my lung removed, but what happened, I had majority of my left lung scarred to the to the wall of my chest cavity to keep the fluid from leaking, right? But so that scar tissue is now, you know, the lung tissue doesn't expand. So half my left lung doesn't work. And um, they thought, like, oh, it's going to be tough for you to come back from this. But I'm like, but this is what I really wanted to do. Um, and so I got through that uh, after, my fr- after my freshman year and my junior year, my sophomore year, I got a chance to walk on. And um, I had a lot of I had a big learning curve, but I went from uh, offensive tackle to now playing uh, a skill position like running back and fullback, and you know I never played it before. 
And so I was behind the eight ball there. And then you have to factor in, you know, didn't have a lot of money, didn't have a place to stay. There was times I was uh, homeless for a bit, trying to make the team. I remember uh, when at, at times when uh, practice was over and all the people was going home, I'd sneak back into the locker room when everybody was gone. Well, I thought nobody noticed. I'd just sleep on the floor in front of my locker. Or I'd sleep on my teammates' floor or in the car or whatever. You know, just trying to make it. I knew if I had the opportunity, if I was there and the opportunity presented itself, I wanted to be ready. But, you know, I fought through all that, you know, earned my scholarship. And I remember the first thing that really, when I really, really sat in, that I was like, man, this is really good to be where I am now. Because I remember not having a lot to eat, you know, trying to make it, right? But in all the starters and the travel teams, they would travel. And they'd go have these pregame meals, these nice, nice uh Cheap, nice, nice, nice uh, menus. And I, I remember when I first got my scholarship, um, I went from uh, having to use use jock scrap, use shoes, use all that to you know brand new pair, three, four pair of shoes, three, three, four pair of cleats. But the pregame meals, I remember we used to play Texas A and M, and I was eating steak, like real good steak. And I and I remember some of my teammates complaining about the steak wasn't well. Now they were take it. I'll give give me yours. And I was eating three or four steaks, and I was like, yeah, I finally made it. The work paid off. And, uh, you know, things took off from there. But, you know, it was an interesting time. Uh, I learned a lot about myself, learned that, hey, you can accomplish a lot of things you put your mind to. And, you know, things went, one, one thing led to another, and boom, I get the call from the Raiders. Yeah, let's go with the Raiders. 2007 NFL draft. Uh, you were selected Rookie of the Year by Elaine Kiffin, and that was pretty special. You came in. I remember that story, being with the team this long, and your backstory and doing research on you. When you came in, you had a big chip on your shoulder to stay and make the team and, and really have an impact, and the Raider organization saw that quickly. Oh, yeah. That's one thing I was I was really, I was like, you know, all the things, all the hurdles I jumped on, like, yeah, to get to get through, uh, to get to where I was, and coming from a small town, Arkansas, you know, we, we don't have a pro football team. You know, everybody in Arkansas cheer for the Cowboys, but, you know, not me. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but to come out here, to come out there, come from Arkansas, come from all the things I, I went through, and then come to the Bay and then see all these new experiences. And then, you know, my first ever, you know, game was with the, the NFL game period, being part of it with the Raiders, then the organization. It was just amazing feeling. Like, I just, when you, when I got there, like, I got to prove that, like, okay, you know, I've been proving things a lot. Like, I deserve to be here. I want to be here. It's great. But to see, you know, the coaches, uh, the owner, Al Davis, come and talk to you, they let you know that, like, I remember one time when I, when I, when I when I heard, I heard my hamstring, and I was really worried about, I, I got to get back out there. You can't make yourself in the club type thing. And then everybody's out there practicing. I was rehabbing. I, rehab was over, and I was walking back to my locker. And then, boom, Al Davis was right around the corner. I was like, oh, I said, Mr. Davis, how you doing? He was like, hey, guy, how you doing? You know, uh, I know you're hurting. You're ready to get back out there, but take your time. We like you. We need you to be right. You know, and that did a lot for me, right? It made me feel great to have the you know, respect mm-hmm. from the front office teammates, the coaches, and the ownership for them to, you know, look at me and, and, and give me the position, put me in a position where I can, you know, be named rookie of the year and play and be in the NFL and have, and have their respect. You know, it was amazing. Stuff. Yeah, it really is an amazing story. Orrin O'Neal, as we wrap it up, former fullback for the Silver and Black, you had that knee injury when the journey came to an end. You got a chance. This is such an important story for our listeners to hear about on the verge of being homeless, fighting, sleeping in front of your locker, making it to the NFL. Then you have a pretty serious knee injury. When the when the career stopped, you had a little bit of money. What'd you learn from the NFL and the Raider organization that helped you where you're at today in your life and your success now? Well, 
I learned what I learned from my journey to the NFL and is and you know while I was in the NFL was like you know sometimes you know things are you know things get tough you know and um, if you just you know the the, the, the lessons from, from from getting through there and then you know having relationships I met at the Raiders they helped me get through those tough times but you know it was a big of a bit of a mental transition that was the hardest part like you go from all the pats on the back all jump through all these hoops. And then I remember the night that I, that I hurt my knee. Uh, we was going. It was the third preseason game against Arizona, and we was. Uh, I was going to be full time starter that year. And they said they came to me and say, "Oh, we know you got this special team down because that's a big part of playing fullback. We want to see what you can do as a full time starter. We want you to be ready to go. We want to give your best. So no special teams this game." And then we went out there, and then uh, right before, like five minutes before kickoff, you know, special team coach Coach Snyder came and said, "Oh, so you said can't go, man. We just need you to do one play on kickoff return." I like, Coach, I got you. And I went out there and uh, knee bent back. Which totally altered my career, flipped everything upside down. Everything was gone in a heartbeat after play that. You know, I didn't even think I was supposed to be out there. But you know, um, it was it was mentally tough uh, getting through that. That was like, you know, your dream come through and all of a sudden it's snatched. But you know, with the connection that uh, the Raiders have, they keep they reach out to former players. They mm-hmm. make you feel. They really make you feel like one. It is true. Once a Raider, always a Raider. Having that connection, that touch with them, they always reaching out to you, letting you know they have forgot about you. That helped a lot with the middle transition, and I appreciate them for that. Yeah, and you got that brick from Mark Davis. That was pretty cool, huh? Oh, uh, yeah, man. I, I got it. All the stuff that they give us, they, that brick was amazing. Yeah. Course, out there, me and my, you know, my kids are the biggest, biggest Raider fans in the world. They still think, like, man, the Raiders love you. They still <laughs> treat you because all the things they give you, because the brick is just one thing they give yeah. you. You go out there. They have, you know, they, they let us come to the game and get tickets for us, but they're really, they're really excited about it, and I can't wait to get out there and see it in person. Hey, Aaron, great to talk to you again. It's been a long time, but your story needs to be told, and when the city opens up here and fans come out next year, I know you'll be a big part of this, and we'll connect in studio, okay? I uh, sure will, man. I can't wait. You got it, buddy. Take care. Oren O'Neill. How good of a story is that? You know, it took him six years, six years to get out of college because of everything that he went through, and he was the national walk-on of the year sleeping on friends' floors, sleeping in the locker room, on the verge of being homeless, then he makes it to the NFL. And he was doing really well. I remember him vividly walking in front of me. I'm doing sidelines on TV in the preseason and in these meetings trying to see who's making the team. And he was set. He was set. He's going to be the fullback, and he's going to go out. You know, Marcel Reese was a great fullback. He's with the organization now. I remember Oren saying to myself, this guy's going to be here because he can pick up every block. He can play special teams. He's a, f- a fullback who played linebacker in college. Type of football player you want, but once a Raider, always a Raider. I really appreciate it. I hope you're getting something out of these conversations. One of the reasons they're giving us these players is to tell the story of the Raider organization with the fans, the young fans here who didn't know the Raiders. So now when you hear the name Oren O'Neill, you can say, hey, I remember I caught him on the radio. I remember it took him six years through injury to get through college, but then he made it in the NFL, and it was a short career. And a lot of these guys, I remind you, they play very short careers. Hey, where do we buy a house, JT, in Summerlin or Henderson? No, no, no. That guy played two years in the league. Took him six years to get there. One injury, you're done. But he's a guy who's still this family and organization keeps him in mind and puts him on the list to come on the radio and tell his story. 
I greatly appreciate that. Touchdown, Las Vegas. Since starting Allegiant some 20 years ago, we've flown more than 100 million people to be with those they love. We're pilots, flight attendants, and technicians. But we're also parents, spouses, and neighbors. And just like you, we're excited to reconnect with the people and places that matter most. That's why we're going the distance for health and safety, on the ground and in the air. Because the further we go now, the safer it'll be to go farther tomorrow. Allegiant, the official airline of the Las Vegas Raiders. Low fares, nonstop flights, only at Allegiant.com. I am thrilled once again to talk to Mark Patterson. I haven't spoke to him in a while. A former NFL wide receiver with the Raiders, a successful entrepreneur, a Sports Illustrated executive, and he seeks to become the first NFL player to ever climb the seven summits with Mount Everest left to go in 2021. Mark, great to talk to you again. How you been? JT, how's it going? Really good. You inspire me when we talk. Your podcast, I'm in the podcast world. You're really making a huge difference. Since we last spoke, I know Mount Everest is the last one to go. Where are you with your training? Where are you on that venture and raising money and trying to get this done? Yeah, you know, so I'm not raising money towards any of it, but, um, you know, the raising money part really comes towards the philanthropy that's come attached with it, I've started a campaign called the Millions Everest, the Losi Challenge. Uh, my daughter has epilepsy. I've connected with a really amazing organization here in Sun Valley, Idaho, where I live, um, called Higher Ground. And together, we're trying to bring more money and awareness towards not just people with epilepsy, but also uh, the military, you know, PTSD. It's an important thing. A lot of those guys have gone over to serve and come back, you know, with their legs or arms or something blown off. And so... Um, really trying to help those guys in terms of adaptive sports, skiing down the hill, climbing, um, and doing other things where I can not just, you know, add money and, again, awareness, but also get involved and help those guys personally with those types of things. Um, yeah, so, so Mount Everest was, was postponed this last year. You know, the whole world obviously shut down. I was supposed to leave last March 31st. I was totally yoked up, ready to go. And um, it didn't happen, and I've just added, like, a whole new layer to this. So not only am I going to try to take on Mount Everest, uh, I'm going to come down, uh, that, you know, hopefully assuming that I hit the top, come back down, jump in my tent for a couple hours, and then it sits in the saddle at the high camp, Camp 4, 26,000 feet, and then go up and climb uh, Lhotse, which is the fourth highest mountain in the world, and then come down. Uh, no NFL players ever done that, and only, there's only been a handful of people ever to have done that combo within 24 hours. So it's going to be pretty intense. Well, Mark Patterson's our guest. Mark, I want to ask you about your fitness because I know how fit you are and you train. What was it like, Mark, to train and then to have this postponed and then to get your oxygen levels where they need to be, your fitness, your cardio? What's that been like? You know, uh, JT, that's a great question. And I really equate this to uh, going back to when I played, you know, in the NFL at the University of Washington. Obviously, that's the college level. But, you know, if you want to be great at anything, you have to go all in. And one of the things I did a couple of years ago, I moved from Hermosa Beach, which elevation, you know, one foot, to uh, Sun Valley, which is almost 6,000 feet. And so every day after I get off the phone, you know, with you, um, I'm going to strap it on. And I literally uh, live across the street, and I go up to 10,000 feet every day. So, you know, uh, you know, obviously all in, trying to get that cardio trying to get to keep that conditioning. Um, I do two a days. I wake up, I do an hour of CrossFit, and then I keep going. And it's just, 
what you have to do. There's just no shortcuts to the top, and that's what I'm trying to do. Mark Patterson joins us, former Raider. So tell our, take our listeners behind the scenes from University of Washington, two Rose Bowls, two Aloha Bowls, the Orange Bowl game-winning catch. And playing yep. under Don James, are you kidding me? And what that means? Now, I know Lincoln Kennedy, Marcel Reese, and other alumni along with you. And then how you got to the point of Al Davis and the Raiders. What was that journey like? Well, it was a great journey. Journey, You know, I mean, everybody has their own path. And I think a lot of times when uh, at least people have looked at my path, they, they say, oh, you're so lucky. You know, you get to do these things. And I got to tell you, there's nobody who worked harder than me. When I first got there from, from, from Roosevelt High School out of uh, Seattle, you know, I was just one of those guys that could kind of run around and do my own thing and, and, and not really be, you know, concern myself with pre-training and lifting and all that kind of stuff. Of course, back in the day, it was a little bit different. There wasn't no Nike camps and things like that. But still, you know, just in terms of being prepared, I wasn't. I got to the University of Washington my freshman year. I'm standing out there. I'm like, oh, my God. I am so far in over my head, you know, and, and so it took me like the next three years to, to get bigger, to get stronger, to get faster, to really understand the Don James Pyramid of Success, which he really had taken and borrowed from the great um, John Wooden, you know, the UCLA basketball coach. And so I finally figured out what, what that took to be at that level. And, of course, in those days, the Pac-10, you're playing against other um, amazing uh potential NFL talent as well, USC, the guys over at UCLA, Stanford, other places like that. And then uh, yeah, I did have that successful run. I learned. And then, you know, with Don James, Coach James, you know, he's being in the right place, right time. And, and when you get your opportunity, you got to step up. That happened a couple times for me in terms of last-second catches. And, uh, and then I went up to the combine, which is insane to think. I was in the same combine as Jerry Rice. I didn't think this little kid from Mississippi Valley could ever do anything in the NFL because he went, came from a, a small school, but obviously became the greatest wide receiver of all time. But I was in that draft. I was picked in the seventh round by Al Davis. I came down, and it was one of the best experiences of my life. Last one with a little over a minute left. Connect with people who need to get fit. There are listeners that we have now during COVID. They're overweight. They have prior, prior issues. They can't go to the gym you are climbing Mount Everest along with what you've done in the past. Inspire someone who's listening to me on how they can turn their life around this weekend and get back to fitness and taking care of their life again. Well, just so you know, I've not been in a gym since February. I think it was last year. So I've created my own little gym. I bought a Peloton. It's in the basement. I got my little weight set, and you can do it. There's all these great apps that are out there that you can do it. And really – what it gets down to, and again, this applies for everything you do in life, action creates reaction. And you don't have to go climb Mount Everest, but you got to take a step, and you got to take your step in the right direction if you want to affect change in yourself. Great to talk to you, Mark. Keep in touch with me. I'd like to see you when you get out to Vegas, and good luck on your next descent. Really appreciate this. JT, you're the best. Thank you so much. JT, back with you. Once a Raider, always a Raider. Former Raider Chris Cooper, kind enough to join us, the defensive end, defensive tackle, played with the Silver and Black from 01 through 03. Chris, good to catch up with you again. How you been? 
Hey, I've been fabulous, JT. Thanks for having me. First off, let's walk walk us through the beginning of your life as a football player from high school all the way to college when you played University of Nebraska, Omaha. When did it click for you as a young man knowing you had a shot to play football in college? Uh, I think it was uh, I think it was my sophomore year. We had a guy, um, Marte Jenkins. Marte Jenkins was a, a wide receiver, and I think he was drafted to um, in the sixth round to the Arizona Cardinals. So when I had him, uh, kind of gave me the chance, you know, when the scouts were finally coming in and you know looking at people, I was like, hey, well, if this guy can make it, you know, just put some effort into this and let's see what can happen. And then the following year, there was a guy we had, uh, Chris Bober. He ended up playing with the uh, Kansas City Chiefs for a little bit. Uh, he was drafted to the Giants and finished up with the Chiefs. And uh, he was an offensive tackle, so he was a guy that I was going against, like, daily. And, um, you know, he, he wasn't too tough. You know, so I was like, okay, well, actually, I have a chance here. Uh, so those were the chance. Uh, that's where I first realized that, hey, I think I could play in the NFL if these guys are getting a look. Isn't it incredible? Then, There's so many stories like that. So many players I've interviewed that said either they came in to look at someone else or they found you on a tape and they come to you and you're you're not sure or they're not sure and then, boom, you get this opportunity. So you have a stellar career in college there, right out of the gate as a red shirt freshman, as a senior, 44 tackles, fourth on your team, 20 tackles for a loss. When did the Raiders find you? What's the Al Davis connection, the scout connection there? Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, I, th- I think it was uh, McLuhan that uh, mm-hmm. that found me. Uh, it was just kind of lucky. I mean, being uh, coming out of a Division II school, uh, the only airport in Nebraska is in <laughs> Omaha. So as all the scouts would land and, uh, you know, go up to the University of Nebraska, they'd always just kind of stop in, you know, see if, uh, we, you know, Omaha had anybody. And, um so then they just came in, and uh, I, I guess I just caught some eyes, and then I finally uh, I was in a Division Two All Star game, and then I just got a call from like my agent. He's like, "Hey, can you play defensive tackle?" I was like, "Sure, why not?" And he goes, "Well, the East West Shrine game has a spot for you if you want to play in it." I was like, "All right, let's go do it. Let's see what we can do against some Division One players." And uh, you know, coming off Division Two, you think that these guys are going to be much much bigger, and. Uh, you know, they weren't. You know, there wasn't, uh, there wasn't that much of a challenge. Uh, the biggest challenge was when I finally got to the NFL. I was like, whoa, now these are the guys yeah. I've been waiting for, I guess. Chris Cooper joins us. I want to just fast forward. You come into the league, played on a really good team. I mean, I'll get to the Super Bowl and the AFC Championship and all that. Who were your mentors on the team when you came in? Who'd you look up to and helped you along the way to break into the league? Well, uh, luckily I had Trace Armstrong. Yeah. So Trace Armstrong at the time, he was a 100-sack guy. So he knew all these, uh, you know, he knew how to pass rush. And then having a great Coach Waffle, you know Coach Waffle having him. And, you know, he's coached, you know, stray hands and so many other people. I just got lucky with uh, having uh, a good coach and uh, probably Trace Armstrong. And at the time, the the Raiders was all veteran players. I think I was like one of the youngest guys on the team. Uh, we even had Reagan Upshaw. Reagan Upshaw was yeah. a heck of a guy that I looked up to, a uh, guy that really worked hard out there. Now, uh, yeah, and you sense you were playing in big games because as I look back and, and did some research before you came on, the game in the divisional playoff game against the Jets, you had three tackles in the AFC championship game. That that Titans game, you know, I work with Lincoln Kennedy a lot too. I go back to that game from the insanity in the parking lot to the the national audience, and everybody knew that this game was going to be a great game, an unbelievable quarterback for Tennessee, the Rich Gannon connection and all of that. 
Walk me through prepping for that game in the locker room, knowing the Super Bowl was on the line. Well, we just, uh, I mean, geez, we're going way back. Um, I just, it's just one of those things that we just had an opportunity. I mean, the year before we lost it with the snow game, sure. you know, so we felt like that was a great team that we could have made it there. Uh, so going into the next year, 2001 or 2002, uh, just knowing that getting this close, that we only have one chance. And I remember even, I mean, it was a big, big game. And the win that was just, uh, I mean, probably the most excitement I uh, had in, man, I don't know how long. Um, so we just knew that we, if we got to the Super Bowl, then we got to the Super Bowl, and they talked about, hey, we got to win the Super Bowl because you never know when you get back. And I think uh, from that point on, I think I only won like 10 games in the next eight years of my career. Wow. So they were completely right. Like, if you get that far, man, you got to win. If you get to the playoffs, you must, must, must win. Because it's not guaranteed every year. Yeah, Chris Cooper joins us. This is a great story. I mean, you you came into the league, and if you look at those teammates and Rice and Brown and Woodson and all the players you mentioned, Trace, and just great players, Gannon, and, you know, the accountability. Was that what it was about, Chris? Everybody was accountable. There was a distraction at the Super Bowl with Barrett Robbins, obviously. You come into that game, and that's a game that got away from the Raiders and flipped pretty heavy quickly to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But just to play in that you know game and to have the flyover and to see the fans that were there, do you still look back on that as a defining moment of your football life, or do you have some regrets because the team didn't play well in that game? Oh, no. I mean, anytime you make it, I mean, it's just such a great feeling. I don't think there's a word that could describe that feeling. You know, as you see, the listen to the national anthem and that flag covering the field, just the goosebumps that you get, and all the fans in the stadium. And you know everybody that you know is going to watch the game. So, you know, everyone that you know is going to be watching you. So it's just such a good feeling of, you know, and great pressure. Yeah, real real pressure in that game. So after that, you went on to play for a number of other teams, and uh, clearly a long career. You came into the league in 01, and then you came out of the league at the end with the Seahawks after that 2008 season. What did it mean to you to be a Raider? Because it's once a Raider, always a Raider. The way Mark Davis treats these alumni, you got your legacy brick, and keep it in touch with your teammates. Tell us what being a part of the Raiders means to you. Yeah, so I, I mean, I ended up finishing there, actually, in 2010. Uh, they brought me back. I was, so I was there throughout training camp in 2010. Um, but yeah, I mean, just, so I'm, I'm just very blessed to kind of retire a Raider, yeah. you know, the team that drafted me, I was able to retire. So it means a, means a ton to me. And yeah, I mean, there's still so many guys that I keep in touch with like Rod Coleman, Barry Sims, Josh Taves, uh, and a little bit of John Perella, mm-hmm. you know, so I still talk to all these guys. I've met a lot of great friends through the Raiders and throughout my career. Awesome. What are you doing with yourself now? Uh, I run a little, uh, sports performance place out in Dublin, California. Wow. I know Dublin well, so that's great. High school players, all sports or football? Yeah, uh, all sports. I got quite a few football. You know, that's my, that's what I know most. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, from all ages, kids from like eight uh, all the way up to you know even some college kids. You know, trying to prepare for the pros. So all the way up, it just keeps you busy. No, I think that's really important. You deal with a lot of parents that drop off their kids for you for training. You got <laughs> well, a lot of responsibility kind of good right now. You know, with school being out, you know, I'm kind of like the daycare now. Oh, is, <laughs> all these kids need exercise because there ain't no PE. So, <laughs> so things are good. That is really interesting. I, I wanted to ask you that very quickly. That is very interesting to me. With COVID, how you're running a business, you're a businessman now. You're training 
athletes. What is that like with some of the rules and regulations and how you're pulling this off? Well, you know, I don't know how I'm pulling it off, but, you know, as a life of an athlete, you either get better or you get worse. So you can let COVID sit back and wait till COVID passes, or you can get out there and try to get back in shape and try to take steps ahead. I believe, I believe that, you know, there are people sitting back, you know, because they can't train, and the ones that are will stand out. So I think these kids need uh, extra help, especially right now without high school sports. Excellent. How are they going to get to college? Well, let's, you know, let's see if we can get your 40 time going. Let's see how we get you to move. So you have to do all these other things because they're not actually on a field anymore. Former Raider Chris Cooper. That is uh, that that made my day. This interview at the end asking <laughs> you this because this is important. I got a senior in high school and my son's in college and and I know that, you know, if you got a ninth grader, 10th grader, that's different. They still got time left, but these these right. ju- these juniors and seniors that want to play D1 or D2 and play college football like you did. This is this is go time. Even with COVID, if if your season was canceled or not, you gotta be able to stay in shape to get ready to get on tape, right? Right. You only have one opportunity to make it happen. If you miss your opportunity to go to college, you're gonna miss it miss it all. So yeah, you must get out there. You must work even harder because of not being on the field, not playing games. Wow. I mean, weird. It'll be weird to see how the whole like college thing goes. Yeah, isn't it? You know, we're following it now. Wisconsin today canceled their upcoming game. Florida's got all these positive tests. But but I like what you're doing. Your story, your story, it's just amazing what this organization is about. Everyone that I interview, Chris, you know, and I, I've interviewed Howie Long. I work with Mike Haynes tonight. All the legends that I talk to and the players like yourself who played in a Super Bowl and played at such a high level. You all have so many different backstories about how you were discovered, what you did, what you're doing in retirement, but it all comes back to the fact that you're part of this Raider family. That's right, and that's what feels the best. (laughs) What's a Raider, always a Raider. Awesome, Chris. Thanks for doing this. I look forward to seeing you a lot. Yeah, I hope to see you in Vegas soon. Look me up when you get here if you can. I sure will, JT. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for listening to The Game Plan on the official Raiders Podcast Network. 